Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. and welcome to another episode of the Table Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Sion Edgerton, and I am so excited that you have pulled up a seat to join us today. Uh, I have with me a dear friend of mine who I connected with through a leadership development network program that we were both part of a number of years ago. Uh, Just fantastic leader, entrepreneur, businesswoman, just all around incredible woman of God. Uh, I would like everyone to welcome Beverly Luenya. Thank you so much for being with us, Beverly. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited for this conversation that we're about to have because I know how much gold you're about to give to our listeners. But before we do that, for everyone that doesn't know you, just tell us a little bit about you. I mean, you've got so many awesome things happening and going on. And so tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do. Um, Let us get to know you a little bit. Right. Okay. So I, so my name is Beverly. Um, I'm originally from Nairobi, Kenya. I was born in Kenya. I'm a bit of a third culture kid. So I grew up in London, England. Um, I spent my elementary school years there. And then when I was 10, my family and I moved to um, California. So I grew up on three different continents. Uh, which plays a big part in shaping me and, um, and, and how I was raised and, and how I view the world. So that's kind of a bit of my background. Um, I have two sisters and I have lived and, and traveled in many different places, but it's funny, I recently have come back home to California. So um, I consider myself a Kenyan Californian is what I, I identify <laughs> And, and yeah, so most recently, um, I am working as a global marketing manager, and I am also an entrepreneur, and I love business, and I love telling people about businesses and, and helping them start them. And so tell us a little bit about your business. Those who are listening to the podcast cannot see your fantastic jewelry. Uh, Those who are going to actually be watching the broadcast, the video broadcast of it, will get to see. But I have a couple of pieces from your collections. Um, I've yeah placed a number of orders. I love them. I get compliments on them all the time. So tell us a little bit about the business that you started. So um, actually, we're in October right now. Next month will be uh, the eighth year that I've had this business. It's an oh, online congratulations! Boutique. Thank you. It's it's been a journey. Uh, it's an online boutique that I started called the Afropolitan Shop, and um, Afropolitan is a fusion of the words African and cosmopolitan. Um, and really, what it is is um, a business that uh, imports jewelry that's made in Kenya right now. It used to be different parts of Africa, uh, but but right now primarily Kenya. And so earrings, necklaces, bracelets, and I work with artisans and designers and producers um, on the ground in Kenya um, to source material um, and products from them and sell them online. That's awesome. And you said you're coming up on eight years now. Eight years. And how it started is an interesting story. A lot of people end up stumbling into business um, to meet a personal need. And that's kind of sort of what I did. I would travel back and forth from Kenya to California. And before I would leave Kenya, I would stop by the local market and stock up on jewelry. 
And so when I would come back to California, people would see my jewelry and say, I love your earrings. I love your bracelet. Where did you get them? And instead of being able to say, oh, Forever 21, you know, Macy's, I was like, oh, I got them in Kenya at the market. And so they would always be like disappointed, like, oh, man, uh, okay, well, they're nice, you know. And I would always feel like I wish I wish there was a way that I could, you know, connect them with the people who um, a lot of them um, are working class Kenyans who are, are working really hard to produce products and sell them. Um, and so to connect them with potential customers. And so the idea of starting an online shop was born then. So this was um, 2011. And at that time, there were very, very few, uh, if, yeah, I could probably count on definitely one hand, um, online retailers of African jewelry. So right now they're all over the place, but back then there, there weren't that many. And I started off with an online platform called Shopify, uh, which okay. now is also well known, but that was actually, I believe the first or second year that Shopify had launched in America. It's a Canadian company. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to put stuff online, take photos and, see if people buy them. And, and they did. And, and so I found a way to be the middle person between the producers of the products and their potential customer base. And this year has been my best year yet. Um, and I'm, I'm just really looking forward to actually expanding and growing in the next few years. So That's great. I love it. And so tell me, if you can, I know there's a lot, but where does your jewelry come from? I know you have a number of different uh, countries that you partner with. Yeah, so in the past, I've sourced jewelry and actually accessories too. So I did uh, sell bags and like laptop mm-hmm. bags before. Um, from So in the past, I've sourced from Ghana and South Africa. And currently it's, uh, and Rwanda in the past, and currently it's Kenya and Tanzania okay. that are the main producers of um, the products that I sell. So. Awesome. And so then in your own personal travels, I know you said you're a third culture kid, you've been all over the world. I have to ask, where is your favorite place? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I've been to, I think, 17 countries. Um, and my favorite country is Australia. That is oh. the place that I've been. And for many reasons, I think because it was really a dream of mine when I was little to go to Australia just because I never had met anyone who was Australian. I never, and it's just so far away. You just think, how do you get to Australia? So um, when I graduated from grad school, this was part of like my, my plan to my big travel plan. Um, And so um, I actually ended up, I was really interested in film and I ended up doing a short uh, three month filmmaking course in Melbourne Um, Australia. So I spent three months in Melbourne and I also got to travel around um, to Sydney and up and down the coast. So it it was just amazing. And what I like about Australia is it's actually to me, it's a mix of um, California and Mm -hmm. England. It's like a perfect blend (laughs) because they're very like laid back, like ocean, beach, you know, surfer people. Um, But then the way they talk, they have that British kind of uh, properness and uh, yeah, just the European influence. So it's really, you can think of a pe- perfect marriage between a Californian and a, and a Brit. <laughs> that's what <laughs> it is for you. I don't know how Australians <laughs> feel about that, but that's how I feel about, about that. 
Oh, that's great. I love it. I feel like I just want to sit down and, and hear all of your stories from your travels because I know that you've probably got some with as much extensive traveling <laughs> as you've done. That's amazing. And so along the same lines, because you've traveled a ton, you probably have a fairly unique answer to this one as well. This is a question that I ask all of our table guests is that if you and I were gathering a group of leaders around an actual table, not a virtual one, but we were live and in person together having these leadership conversations, what would you serve them? What is the one dish that you have just mastered? Or maybe it's just your favorite food, your favorite dish, but what is it that you would serve at a table with a bunch of leaders? Okay, so I love food, full disclosure. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, okay, so it's super simple. Um, it's very, very simple, Sian. So my favorite thing to eat is rice and beans. With okay. Also on the side, an avocado. So those four things together to me is the holy grail of food. It's nice. And I oh, and I think about this because I'm always like if I was stranded on an island and I could eat one thing every day, one meal every day for the rest of my life, that would be it. I would never get bored of rice, beans, a little bit of salsa, some kind of tomato salsa thing, and then avocado. That's that's my mixture. But in terms of like serving. Uh, a dish um, at a like an event or coming to a table with a dish um, it's it's the beans part that I love that's one dish I've mastered and I just love to make and yeah it's just it's healthy and I've also sort of uh, well, I don't know if I should say perfected but I have a way that I make it where it's very easy on the stomach you know what I mean mm-hmm. yes so there's, there's <laughs> ways where because I love eating beans so much I had to to learn how to do this um, so there's ways you can cook beans where um, it's, it's a bit more gentler on the stomach Okay. This is, this is a trick that I might have to get from you because I am a bean fan myself. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, we are so glad that you're here. And I know that our guests are really just going to be blown away by the content that you bring. So now that we know what you bring to an actual table, rice and beans, what is it that you bring to the leadership table? Right. So this is a question um, that I really love. I love studying and learning about leadership. And when I think about my um, place on the leadership table and just what I bring to the table, um, I just go back again to business. And so I I thought of um, the way I would explain it to uh, your audience and, and just for the purpose of this podcast would be in terms of a business development toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's really, when I look at my life, that's really how I've, I've, um, iterated and moved through different phases and seasons of my life. It's really using this toolkit, this business development toolkit. So, and so tell me a little bit about what does that, what does that look like? And what does that mean to you when you say that you have developed this business toolkit? What, what is that? Right. So I have, um, I feel like I've had many different careers and and lives in one life. And this is often the life of an entrepreneur. It's someone with varying background um, experiences that form um, a a business opportunity. Uh, And so that's very much um, how I I see myself now. So in my business development toolkit, I think of it as, um, and I guess this might be helpful for people listening, if you are a leader and you're thinking about 
a new offering for the marketplace, a new whether it's a new product um, or just a service or an offering, that is kind of something that would be in need of some kind of development. So um, whether you're selling it or not, it's something that you're putting forward into the marketplace for people to consider. And so um, I am someone who is, I think I would consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Whenever I think of a new product or service or idea, I put it through this uh, business development toolkit. And so inside this toolkit, there are four different tools that I kind of have to use um, on the idea to make sure that this idea has legs and that it will travel and that it will be sustainable. Let me ask you first, because I feel like, especially for a lot of leaders, you talked about being a serial entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of our listeners that can relate to that. You know, we're, as leaders, especially, we've always got ideas, you know, for those who are wired apostolically or as entrepreneurs, there's different ideas every day, you know, and all these different things that we're coming up with. How do you personally, what is the process? So I know once you've landed on an idea, you've got this toolkit that you kind of process the idea through in order to bring it to fruition. But before that, how do you discern and decide from one season to the next, which of the ideas are just fleeting ideas? Which are the ones that you're actually going to engage in right now? Which are the ones that maybe you're putting on a shelf for later? Mm Because to be honest, and I've constantly got, you know, ideas all the time, but they're not all ones that I should actually be pursuing. You know, and I had to learn that my nature as a leader and an entrepreneur is that I get lots of ideas, but I don't actually have to act on every single one of them. So what have you developed as far as a discernment process to just figuring out with wisdom and everything else that's on your plate, Mm -hmm. which of the ideas do you table? Which do you pursue? Which do you just kind of entertain and then toss out? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Oh, this is great. You're speaking my language, literally. Um, so I, I've always said, I wish I could get paid to just come up with ideas because I will never run out. I right. just can sit there and just be like, I thought about this and this and this. Because I have so many ideas every day, every week, every month, this toolkit is the answer to that question. It's helped me mm. figure out what stays and what goes because an idea is, because you, especially people like us, have so many of them, they're really very cheap. An idea is, is, is cheap if you're someone who's able to come up with an idea. Um, and so this branding toolkit will, will kind of help you sift through um, what whether this idea is, like you said, something that is for a future date or something that is probably not as viable as you think, but maybe you're just really passionate about it. Or sometimes an idea that you want to do um, as, a, as a free offering and not a, a, a for sale offering, or an idea that you want to pass on to someone else. So that's something that we often forget. Sometimes you come up with an idea to give to someone at the right moment and let go of. It's not yours to keep. So, um, yeah, there are many different directions that, that this can go. And so um, I usually go through this, this kind of system to see if I can do all four of these things, um, if I can use all four of these tools on the idea, then it's probably something that um, I can go forward with. So 
Okay. So then why don't, tell me, lay out for us, kind of outline the four tools and then let's take time to break each one of them down. And I'm, I have my, my pen and paper handy because I feel like I'm going to need to take notes on this stuff in the midst of the things that I'm pursuing right now. So I am ready to learn. (laughs) All right. So in your business development toolkit, so remember you have an idea and then you go to your business development toolkit toolkit. And you take out these tools to use um, on your idea to see if it's viable. So you can think of it as these tools, you're, you're poking and probing your idea to see if it'll, if it'll stand. Um, and so I'll, I'll quickly go through them and then we'll dive deeper. So Perfect. the first one is brand. The first thing you want to think about is the brand. The second thing you want to think about is communication. Third thing you want to think about is marketing. And the fourth thing you want to think about is sales. So branding, communication, marketing, and sales. And there's probably a reason, an intentional reason for why the tools are in this order. Mm -hmm. Can you speak, would it be better to speak to that now or will that kind of come to light as you walk through them? It will become to light as I walk through them. Okay, so let's, let's start. Let's dive in. Talk to us about branding. Yeah, so because I am um, a Christian and, and that's a, a primary way of, of how I come up with ideas and how yeah. I, my worldview, how I look at the world, um, I let me preface all this, all this by saying I have often struggled with being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and a Christian and seeing how the two meet mm-hmm. because there it's, I've always struggled with the question, what is a Christian entrepreneur? Is mm-hmm. it that you are a Christian who has happens to have a business or is it that you have a Christian business so that you can, you know, in, in the sense that you can only sell Christian items or you can only sell to Christians. Um, and so I've always like found, like struggled with what's the line there and how does one inform the other? Um, and so because of this, uh, and, I, and I'm friends with a lot of different Christian leaders, and as I talk to them about businesses that they might start um, or businesses that they have ideas to start, um, th- these are some of the, the questions that come up, and, and this toolkit has kind of developed over that. So as we think about brand, um, I'm going to kind of outlay the, I guess, business word for it and the faith word for it so that we can all see how if you get stuck on the business word you can quickly shift over to the faith word and hopefully that will help you move the idea forward and and get unstuck so the first one uh, brand Um, brand equals identity so if you're a christian leader you know the word identity um, and one of the, so I can go through this toolkit with, uh, a product and the, and the product that I'm going to use is being a Christian. So that is the product. The product is Christian. So when you think about, um, a brand, uh, and if brand equals identity, then as a Christian, you want to answer, and, and you're answering the question, what is a Christian? What when you become a Christian, what does that mean? What is your new identity? What are you moving from? What are you moving to? And and so we 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 pretty much know that as Christians, we know that mm-hmm. we uh, are accepting to follow follow Christ. We know that we're saying goodbye to uh, certain habits or people or or um, 
you know, uh, divisive um, systems in our lives, and we're saying yes to something. So we're building a new brand as a Christian, and this brand consists of a new identity. Um, and it's interesting, I thought about how Jesus did this. He was very clear on his brand, brand Jesus. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but go with me for a second. You know, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was very clear. This is who I am, and this is who I am not. And he drew a line in the sand, and he asked people to join in on that brand. And you know what was interesting when he was on this earth? People saw that difference, and they said, we have people that we know. So we have uh, the Pharisees, we have teachers of the modern day, we have, you know, political leaders, and we see what they're doing. But here's this man, Jesus, who's doing something different. Um, and so he was just really beautifully able to differentiate himself from other leaders in that time period. And even today, um, in terms of building his, his brand, or as we know it, identity. That's so good. And I love, I love how you're bringing in the biblical correlation because I feel like, and maybe this is just me, um, but I've, I've talked to many other leaders who feel the same way. So I don't think it's just me. Um, but so often we feel icky about this, yeah. about the idea of having to brand something. And, and because I think culturally the way that things get branded or, you know, there's just certain things culturally where right. it's so much of this is about me, the focus is on me, the self-promotion. But right. at the same time, if you are, even if you are a leader of faith, if you have a business, if you have an organization, we have to think business-minded. Yeah, mm -hmm. what we're doing may be the overflow of the expression of our faith and one of the ways that we're doing kingdom work. But at the same time, we have to be Christ-minded, but also business-minded. If right. you're running a business, and I love the distinction that you made between, am I a Christian who owns a business or am I, do I have a Christian business? Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about the distinction between the two of those and how that might drive values, how one might look a little different from the other? Because I think for someone who's hearing that for the first time and it's mm -hmm. resonating with them, mm -hmm. I feel like the question is, oh, wait, how do I decide which one I am? Yeah. And, and. I don't have all the answers, but the way I've kind of thought through the process and watched other people think through the process is um, really both are are fine, both are right. But I think mm -hmm. you just need to know which one you are. And I, I found I had to do that in the beginning. When I was starting with the Afropolitan Shop, um, I, I was just coming off of doing a, a year-long church internship uh, in Kenya, and I was just on fire for God. And then I was like, do I choose to continue and become a pastoral trainee and just kind of go into full-time ministry um, or start this business? And I did not see a bridge between the two at all. And, I, and it, was, it was a really difficult time of like trying to figure out what to do next. And so I thought, I thought oh, well, then I'll just start a, a Christian business and be, you know, do ministry through my business. But as I tried to set up the Afropolitan shop, I found that I couldn't really, it didn't make sense to put overtly Christian overtones in my jewelry shop. I didn't, mm -hmm. so what did that mean? Would that mean that I would have, so Jesus earrings and Jesus necklaces. Um, but when I looked at the marketplace in Kenya, no one was making that. They were, they were making um, earrings with the shape of Africa on them, like I have on right now, or uh, beaded earrings. So it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I can't, it, it, for me, it doesn't mean 
um, having, you know, scriptures on the things that I sell. Um, so I took a step back and thought, what other ways can I be a Christian entrepreneur and have a Christian business? And one of the ways I looked at it, and one of the things I decided from the beginning is uh, the principles behind it. So making sure that I pay what my vendors want and not haggle them down um, to a, you know, a bottom price. So if they say the wholesale price is X, Y, Z, that's what I want to pay, treat them honorably, um, and just make sure that I maintain those relationships. And the same on my customer side too, be honoring as much as I can of, of my customers and make sure that I have, uh, to the best of my ability, I, I, I have principles that the business is built on that I would be proud of and that, and that um, I see reflected in the Bible as well. So yeah. that's kind of the turn that, that I took. So. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think it's important because like you said, it's going to be the driving force behind how you do what you do and why you do what you do. And so understanding which of the two you are, are you a Christian who owns a business or do you have a Christian business? And like you said, they're both good. They're both right. It's just a matter of what are you being called to? Because that is going to define the brand, the identity of what you're doing, like you said. Yeah, and, and brand is really answering the question, who are you? So yeah, when you hear okay. branding and people say, I struggle with branding or I don't know what that is, just the question you're trying to answer is, who are you? Mm-hmm. Which is not an easy question for anyone to answer. I think, you know, as humans, it's a lifelong um, journey answering that question. But there, at some point, you, you do have something that you can distill down um, into the essence of who you are. And so that's just the important thing to to think about when it comes to branding. Right. So good. Who are you? Mm -hmm. So once you feel like you're able to answer that question, the who are you, you've settled the branding or the identity, then we move into communication, right? That would be my second tool. Okay. So So let's talk about it. Product Christian, (laughs) (laughs) um, who has determined that's their brand. I'm a Christian. That's my identity. Um, I identify as this. Um, so communication is, well, what are you telling people about being a Christian? Communication Mm -hmm. is story. Communication is your salvation story in how did you become a Christian? So when you meet people and you say you're a Christian, that's brand Christian, but then how are you telling them that you are a Christian? Do you just say the phrase, I'm a Christian and then stop? No, because they'll have questions no. and you, and you right. want to elaborate. So what is that elaboration of being a Christian? Mm. So that's what communication really is. It's telling a story about your brand. It's telling a story about who you are. So when you've answered the question, who are you? Um, it's almost the question uh, of, of why. So, so why are you this way? Um, and it's really building a narrative around your idea and your brand so that people can understand and resonate um, with it. So, yeah. I like that building a narrative around your brand. Mm -hmm. That's good. I'm writing this down. Uh, and so when you have figured out the branding part and you want to tell your story in the business world, what are some of the most effective ways to do this? How do we communicate about this brand that we've developed? It's interesting. Um, there's many different ways of doing that. I found um, a lot of times, the simplest ways of communicating uh, your brand are the most effective. So we know um, we know uh, famous brand 
taglines like just do it for mm-hmm. Nike. Um, that's communicating a lot in a very short sentence. So it doesn't have to be a long paragraph of, you know, on your about me page, like, you know, a whole essay of who you are. Um, you, you can be succinct, but, and, but in a powerful way, communicate uh, the, the story of who you are. So um, I think the most important thing to answer is, um, or the, the most important thing to share in uh, communicating your brand is the, the points of your journey, the key points in your journey. So as long as you hit those key points um, so people can follow along and, and see a narrative, um, that's the best thing. And a good narrative always has um, a beginning, middle and end, and it always has some kind of conflict, some kind of point of contention that you come in and solve. So if you remember back to my Afropolitan shop story, um, I shared the point of contention or the, or the issue, the problem was that uh, people were asking for a product that they didn't have access to. And so there was right. a in the, the marketplace. And, and that's part of the narrative of the business. It's very much part of the foundation of the Afropolitan shop mm. is answering this need for um, a product. So. So then the question that comes to my mind, and this very well may be one of those, okay, well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg types Mm -hmm. of things. But when we're talking about this is how does it happen? Is there, is it that there is a need, there is a gap and I observe and recognize the need and now I'm building a brand to meet that? Or is it, I have an idea and I'm then looking to build a brand around that and then find that hole that I can plug with, which comes first? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, so as I study and lead um, and read from different business developers um, out there and, and entrepreneurs, um, I, I'm seeing that both are correct and, and many successful businesses have done both. Uh, but I'm of the opinion, and a lot of people are of the opinion, that it's easier and probably more effective and um, maybe you'll have less headaches if you start with looking for the need first and, and working backwards and answering that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's many people who started successful businesses from an idea that n- never existed. So I'm thinking of like Facebook, for example, you know, sure. it, it exists. And was there a need for it? I, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> but but now we can't live without it. Right. Um, so, you know, they worked, um, they had an idea first and brought it to um, the, the marketplace. Whereas um, I think of something like, um, well, I was going to say Uber or Lyft, where uh, there's, there's an existing product, but it, it can, it, there, there's gaps in the way that mm-hmm. the service, the taxi service industry was uh, functioning and there was just room for someone to come in and just fill this need of um, how can I get a taxi when I really, really need one instead of having to stand on one particular street and hail a taxi down. Is there a way since I have my phone on me all the time where I could just order a taxi? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure people had this idea and they saw the the need for it, but that's an I think that's an example of someone seeing um, a pain point in the marketplace and then building a product to meet it. 
And that seems like that's really where the sweet spot is, is finding those places where there is a need that aligns with the gifting and the talent and the experience and expertise and passion that you have, where you are equipped to come in and be able to develop something that meets that need. Yeah. And I'm just going back to... um, you know, biblical examples. And, you know, you can say that's what Jesus did. There yeah. there was a need. Humans were flawed and sinful and the world was not in a, a good state. And there was a need. We needed a savior. And Jesus came down and met that need. There's just ways in which you, I think the best way to look at it is in your own personal life. Like I said, a lot of businesses start from the entrepreneur's own personal painful journey. I just yeah. learned this, um, Example, I just learned of this business uh, the other day of um, this woman who started a 100% organic um, deodorant company um, that doesn't use aluminum. And she started it because her mother was sick and um, needed to use only organic products. And so she started this, I forgot what it's called. I think it's called Smarty Pits or some, some really <laughs> And, and yeah, and it's now like a million dollar selling product, uh, deodorant, um, just from this need of like, they had to like stop buying, you know, store brand deodorant, and she had to go back and start making her own products for um, her mother. So that's an example, Mm -hmm. you know, you have this idea, and then um, but there's also a need for it. And then what's interesting is because the, you know, a lot of stories, general stories are, can also be very localized. A lot of people turns out had that idea. So people are reaching out saying, oh, I also can't use this product. I also need a hundred percent organic, um, natural products. And yeah, and that's how that started. So, so what would you say then to the leader? And cause this is something that I have had to deal with in my own personal journey is feeling like, I'm gifted for something. I'm experienced in something. I feel very passionate about this and called to it. I have an idea, but it kind of already exists. Somebody is already doing something like that. Maybe it's not the exact same thing, but in theory, what I'm talking about is kind of already out there. And so then there's the, well, should I really do it? Do I really need to does there need to be another one? Will it be successful? Maybe I should just join with this other company. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who feels like they do have something of value, but already kind of sees something similar in the marketplace and worries that it's just not original enough? Well, off the bat, I I would say that that might be a little bit of a scarcity mentality. And I would say that there's a lot to go around. There's enough to go around. And yeah. if you have an idea that you you see is is maybe a derivative of something that's already out there. Um, I would say your passion and it being your idea makes it unique. That's the that's the angle. You are the angle. So what are you bringing that that will differentiate you from the the other company? And you know we see this all the time. Let's go back to Uber. There's Uber and Lyft, and mm-hmm. they have their own. They're both billion dollar companies, and they each have their own customers. And sometimes they have crossover which is good, but there's some people who will use one and not use the other. Um, And it also depends on where you are. If you want to call a Lyft or an Uber, sometimes it depends on which app you pull up first. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's room for both of them, McDonald's and Burger King. And and they're all offering the same product, burgers, fries, shakes. 
And they're all obviously thriving. I was driving home the other day and it cracked me up. I was I was at a stoplight behind this vehicle and they had, I think like, because you know how Uber and Lyft have their little stickers that you yeah. put on your car. They had, I don't know, somewhere between six and eight stickers on the back of their car. And it was Uber and Lyft and Uber, Uber Eats. And then there was like four different, you know, the food Excuse delivery me. apps. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And this, this person obviously, you know, worked for all of them. They're and it grinding. was just like, you know what? <laughs> there you go. They're all obviously successful, thriving yeah. businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the food one. The other day I, I was trying to order food and I was looking on my phone for the food app that I had. And I couldn't remember if I had downloaded Postmates or DoorDash. Yep. And I just was looking like an alphabet and I'm like, which one did I have? And then I went to the D and then I found it was DoorDash, but then I also found that I had Postmates. So I had both. <laughs> and I just was like, okay, I guess I have both, but what's my login? And but to me, I'm like, it wasn't like I saw DoorDash and I'm like, oh, that's DoorDash. I need to delete it. I can only have one. I'm like, well, I have both on here. Let me just kind of log into both. And I I'm sh- I know I've used both of them. Right. So this is just an example of going back to your question. If you are passionate, I think that's the most important thing you said. Mm-hmm. You're passionate about being an author, be an author. There's a million authors out there. There's room for you. If you're passionate about starting a podcast, start a podcast. If you're passionate about starting a a business, even if it's a, a business that you've seen, but you want to do your your own version of it, I'm I'm a hundred percent for that. And mm. and um yeah. And it seems like, correct me where I might be mistaken, but it seems like this is where the second tool becomes really, really important. The communication mm-hmm. piece of what is your narrative? How is right. it different? What story are you telling that's gonna be a little bit different than the person who tells it under this brand? Right. Maybe you have similar brands, but your communication is its going to be different. Yeah. And personality too. So even if you think about the space of like mom blogger, which um, I was reading the other day is, is one of the most uh, profitable blogs that you can start is being a mom blogger. And there's so many, but there's so many different women, like women are different. Moms are different. You know, are you a mom blogger who has primarily stay at home kids uh, or are you a stay-at-home mom with homeschool kids? I mean, or um, are you a working mom? Um, are you a foodie mom? Are you a fitness mom? Like there's so many different types of um, ways that you can communicate that story. And also your platform. Are you primarily a blogger who's also on Instagram? Are you a blogger who has a Facebook group? Um, are you a blogger who has an online store with merch? Are you a blogger with a YouTube channel? So there's so many different versions of that that you can do um, and someone will uh, start to follow you and tell their friends and then you will become their mom blogger and that's how you build community. Mm, That's good. That's good. Your communication leads to your community. I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from branding to communication to your third tool, which this is the one that I struggle with the most because it's the one that feels the most icky to me, (laughs) is marketing. Help marketing um, not feel so icky, please. Yeah. So so brand, communication, marketing. Marketing is, that's actually what I do full-time. I'm a marketing manager. Um, And for me, what clicked for me personally was when I realized that marketing is evangelism. Mm. Marketing is just telling people about what you do and promoting what you do. So communication is, is what you tell them, but marketing is the actual telling of the story. So for, you know, 
faith leaders, marketing is a form of evangelism. So if you go back to uh, product Christian, um, brand Christian, uh, the communication part is your story, your salvation story. Um, so the marketing part is, is now telling others about your experience as a Christian and hopefully having other people join on board. So you're a Christian, that's what you've decided, that's your brand. You have a story about how you became a Christian and evangelism is now telling people about that. So for instance, um, if you're a Christian, you're a new Christian um, and you get on the bus and you sit next to someone. So you have your story written out. Let's say last night you wrote out your whole salvation story in your journal and it's beautifully written and you're just so proud of it. But then someone sits next to you and you just kind of sit there and you're quiet. There's no marketing taking place. There's no evangelism taking place. You have branded yourself. You have communicated mm -hmm. your story. It's on paper and it's in your head. And it's also a very beautiful story, but no one knows about it because you haven't told them. So that's how marketing plays a role in getting your brand and your communication and communicating your story out there. It's the actual action behind your brand and your, your story. So that makes sense. No, it does. That's so good. And so when we're talking about it from the business perspective, um, for especially for someone who's just launching a new idea, mm -hmm. what are some of the best places or ways to do it? Because it feels like there's so many options. It's overwhelming. Yeah. I'm just, I need to build a website and I need to be on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And now Pinterest is a thing and YouTube yeah. and, you know, all of these different platforms, it can feel so overwhelming. And because you do want to communicate well and to lots of people, obviously, if you have something that you believe is of value, you right. want to be able to get it out to as many people as possible. But at the same time, all of that can be really overwhelming. So what, how do you kind of determine um, what's the best platform for you? How many, which platforms should you be using? What, what does that process look like? So those are really good questions because there are so many options and so many platforms and yeah. we all have, you know, hundreds of millions of um, people behind them and, and that are a part of those communities, I would say focus on the one that you're most comfortable first. And this mm -hmm. is true of most people. If you have some kind of online presence, you're usually, you usually favor one over the other, or you have one that, that is at least, you know, your number one uh, platform. So when it comes to marketing and, and let's just talk about social media, uh, you might prefer Facebook first and then maybe Instagram, but you really don't like Twitter. Or so like for my sister, she, she loves Twitter. Twitter is her number one, um, but she's off Facebook and she's off um, Instagram. So it's interesting how, you know, different people favor different platforms and also depending on what you do. Um, and I also will be teaching about this and, and hope to teach more about this. Uh, different platforms may be better for you based on your demographic and also the product that you're, you're, you're um, selling or you're offering or your business. Generally, Facebook is good as a general kind of online presence in social media world, just because it has the biggest platform and just the widest reach across the globe. So mm -hmm. Facebook is, is good for that. Um, but then there are some others, um, newer ones like TikTok. If you, you know, if you do youth ministry, that's a platform you want to look at, Snapchat um, versus 
um, you know, Instagram, which is now kind of in the middle now, becoming bigger and bigger. Um, there's also LinkedIn, which a lot of people just see as a professional uh, networking site, but it's really, really growing now to be a great place to market products as well and, and services. So um, yeah, I would say pick pick one and then maybe a second as a backup. So if you're developing a website, I've seen, you know, some people that have like 12 icons, at the, like social media icons. That's wow. great. But just know pe- not, people are not probably going to click on all 12. Mm-hmm. So maybe just focus on two to three is what I would suggest. Um, so it, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or um just Twitter and Facebook, whatever, whatever your two favorite platforms, uh, that's what I would highlight because you do have to like the platforms that you're on. Mm-hmm. If, if you hate Pinterest, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't go on yeah. it. Um, <laughs> if, if, you know, so be on the platform that you would actually enjoy engaging with. Um, you can also hire someone to, uh, to, to run your social media, um, or you could uh, train an intern, bring someone on an assistant to run your social media. Uh, so there's there's different ways of going about it. But if it's just you, I would stick to the one that you post on the most um, and that you're most familiar with. Um, and generally, because they're so big um, and there's so much marketing that goes on in the, the, the big four or five platforms I think mm-hmm. I think you should be fine if you but the, the, the again the the main thing is to focus on one or two yeah that's good and that brings a lot of freedom too to yeah. feel like okay I don't have to be on 12 different things I don't have to manage the ones that because I'll be honest Twitter is not my jam and I have yeah. tried for years to yeah. work on to have a presence on Twitter and now that you know I've got the whole table leadership thing I'm trying to think oh I need to get that on track but I really don't want to I yeah. really don't like Twitter not yeah, that I have no. any problems with Twitter it's just yeah. not the one that works for me and so just to hear the freedom in that yeah. and, you know you don't have to do it all better to do a few things really really well than try to do everything and only do average Exactly. And I haven't even gone into, that's just social media. I haven't even gone into um, email marketing and a website and something like a podcast. You know, those are also, those could be considered part of the two other platforms that you have. So, you know, for someone like you, you have an amazing uh, email list, a vibrant email list, and now you're developing a podcast. You probably might just need one other social media platform just to disseminate the new episodes and and new emails and new offerings. So th- that's just a way to think about it because these are they're becoming such big platforms. You know, like podcasting just five years ago was kind of marginalized, and now mm-hmm. it's this big thing that big brands are paying attention to. Yeah. So you know that could you know, be looked at as a competitor or um, complement to a social media channel that you mm-hmm. have. So, cause it's, it's getting that big now. Yeah. Nice. yeah same with email, email marketing. It's huge. Right. Everybody's got a podcast and a email, email mailing <laughs> list now. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. I'm, I am giving myself permission. I am writing this down that yeah. I can cancel Twitter and to yep. all the Twitter fans out there and everyone who works for Twitter, I love you. You're doing an amazing job and keep right. doing what you're doing. It's just not for me because I struggle yeah, with it you, really bad. If you have your Twitter profile on there, you could just write a message saying, you know, hey, guys, I'm switching gears. 
uh, a bit, and I will primarily be focusing on my podcast, which you can find at link. And um, you can find me and engage with me on my Instagram page, link. So something like that, where, you know, it's also strategic. You're letting people know that I'm condensing my services to, you know, fewer platforms so that I can be more impactful um, and engage more with the audiences in those platforms. So. Mm, and see that right there was just genius too. the strategy behind that. I hope everyone listening is jotting down notes like mm-hmm. I am because this is gold. This is really good stuff. Okay. So the fourth and final tool, we've talked about branding, which is right. the identity communication, which is your story marketing, which is telling your story. Yeah. And then finally we've got sales. Yes. This Talk is to me about sales. <laughs> Sales, what? Christians don't sell or sell, sell things. But um, yeah, that's the one that gets a little dicey for people because, you know, maybe you're fine with branding and identity and marketing and setting up social media, but then the selling part really uh, throws you off or you just feel ill-equipped to do it. And so I can review, but to review if branding equals identity, uh, communication equals story, uh, and marketing equals evangelism, then sales equals transformation. Mm. Sales is what do you want people to do with all of this information you've given them? So you've told them your brand, you've told them your story, uh, you've evangelized to them. So you've, you've acted on your brand and your story. Um, so then what? So going back to the person sitting on the bus next to someone that say they actually did start talking to them and, you know, telling them their story about how they became a Christian, um, and the person is listening and engaging. So what do you want to happen after that? Mm. And, and so that's how I look at sales from a Christian perspective. You know, a lot of times we think it's just transactional. It's like, I sell you a product. And in my business, it is. I'm selling you a product. Um, you give me money and you get your product. But this is this transaction is also happening in faith communities as well. It's happening in the church. There's no money involved, but there is people are coming there with expectations and you have expectations of the people who are coming mm-hmm. to wherever you are, whether it's a church or a, a conference you're, you're leading, or if it's a book that you're putting out, whatever offering, going back again to whatever offering or product you have, mm-hmm. there are expectations on both ends. And sales is really defining what is the expectation and when do we know that we've crossed that line into the expectation being met. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because you, no matter what it is you're doing, like you said, whether you're hosting a conference, writing a book, starting a business, whatever it may be, you have an idea of how you want people to engage with your material. Right. And your content, whether it is a product or an idea or whatever, you have an idea of how you want them to engage because you do. I mean, you're hoping that people will engage with it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing any of it. Exactly. And that's a key question. You wouldn't really be doing this. So there is some some level of expectation. And I think this is particularly um, important for, for people who are in ministry settings where you know, you might not be selling anything, but there, like, again, there is an expectation. So I think defining what that transformation is you're expecting from people. Um, and, and you know, I guess there, it is also an ongoing debate of what constitutes, you know, transformation from a church. Is it when you sign up to a small group and start going 
for, you know, a year? Or is it when you get baptized? Or is it when you, you know, get married? Or what is what is the transformation that you're hoping people will get? So that's, I think, especially for, for faith leaders and pastors in particular, I would say defining what that is and getting as, as close to what I keep saying is the line, crossing the line of when they do this, then I will feel like they are transformed. Or when they do this, then they will feel that they are transformed and seeing where the two differ. You know, so for instance, right. uh, I'm going back to church and just because I've also worked in church um, and expectations that we have of people who are coming for the first time. We hope that they have a great time and, and they they talk to people and they're ushered in to a seat and and people around them are engaging with them. And, um, you know, they stop afterwards and shake hands with the pastor and they grab coffee and they make a new friend. It's a lot of expectations to put on someone who's visiting for the first time. They, you know, might have gotten lost. They might have, you know, on the way to church, they might be arriving late. They might not want to take their kids to Sunday school yet. Whereas we know we have a great Sunday school program and every child should be in it. But they, you know, maybe they just want their child to sit with them for that Sunday, or um, yeah, we. So just just figuring out what realistically is a newcomer expecting from a church service for the first time, and what are our expectations, and what, how can we bring those two closer together? And that's when you really have transformation because you both want the same thing. You're both expecting the mm-hmm. same thing, and no one is leaving feeling like um, they didn't get what they wanted. Yeah. And so from the business sense, this is really when your sales are going to be thriving. Exactly. So, and I think it's easier to look at from uh, a business perspective. So if you have products up, um, let's say you have an online website or even a um, brick and mortar store and you went out and got all these products that you're so excited about and people are coming in and they're not buying them. I think it's, it's, again, you can do, you can use this tool in your toolkit to determine what are they hoping to get? What transformation are they hoping to get? So if you have a boutique of clothing, but you know no one's buying the clothing, but you have a little section with jewelry and people love the jewelry that you have, maybe it's time to think about focusing more on that because that's what people mm-hmm. are responding to. And that's where the transformation is happening. And in business, um, transformation is a, a, a person leaving, feeling happy that w- with the product that they they bought. So no buyer's remorse, no forced buying where they're like, okay, I feel like kind of was coerced to buy this product, but really feeling so excited to tell people about, oh my goodness, I bought this new pair of blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and then telling other people about it. So finding out what, what product in your offering is doing that and, and doing a lot of listening to your customers and your audience mm-hmm. and making sure that you understand exactly what they're looking for and um, being able to meet that. So a lot of the most successful businesses, the churches that are, are having the most impact, the authors mm-hmm. that are selling the most books that people are recommending the most are because the product they offered met the expectation and exceeded the expectation of the person who um, mm. bought or consumed the product. What would you say to someone who feels like the thing that they're offering is not meeting expectations, that the way that they want people to engage isn't happening? Is it a, okay, maybe the timing's just not right? Or do you change something? I mean, do you go all the way back to rebranding? Do you change the identity? Do you change 
the story? Do you change the marketing strategy or do yeah. you change your expectations? What, what do you do when you feel like I started this blog and no one's reading it, or mm-hmm. I started a podcast and no one's listening. I wrote a book and no one bought it. I started a business and no one's buying anything. Which of the tools or is it all of them that you have to reconsider at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say it's actually this toolkit is is kind of a cycle. So if you've gone through all of this and you're still not seeing the results you want, then go back to the beginning and start over again and just really fine tune. Okay, do I have the right brand? What can I change about my brand? Maybe I'm not telling, maybe I don't know who I am quite yet, or maybe I think I'm one person and, and everyone else is telling me, no, you're really this great, you know, other person that you that we want to see more of and that will actually resonate you go back to communication maybe there's something you left out in your story that you actually need to go back and see and this this actually requires a lot of listening um, and, and engaging with your audience to see what what questions are they asking and maybe that's a part of your story that you didn't think was relevant that you need to bring back in or highlight so for I have an example of this in my business um, primarily the the customers I have are black women around the world and mostly in the U.S. but around the world and this this came about from me doing a lot of listening and and seeing how this particular community was really resonating with the products because they're from Africa and the African-Americans I would meet here especially African-American women who love jewelry um, were just so enamored with the fact that they could have something from the motherland. They could yeah. have something from um, Africa that would reflect their heritage. And so that they became and still are my, my mo- most passionate customers. And that was a part of my story that I didn't highlight in the beginning. So I, I decided to talk more about the, the heritage part of Afropolitan Shop and how this is an African owned business. And so I do that a lot, mostly on my social media so people can see, uh, can see that. So that was just something where I'm like, oh, people are really resonating with this. Let me put that into my story more. And then marketing, try a different channel, try a different platform. Sometimes marketing is, is well, oftentimes you can start with marketing for free. So you can Facebook is free, Instagram is free, Twitter is free, but maybe you need to take it a step further and do paid ads. And so that could be on the second try when you look through um, your toolkit, you think, okay, maybe on this, this next phase, I need to actually do paid ads and invest in Google ads or Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. And there are people who can help that. There are courses you can take online to help you with that. So um, yeah, and then just see the last part, the sales part, the tra- transformation after you've gone through this again, am I, again, is my line and the customer's line or the client's line, is it getting closer or is it getting mm-hmm. further apart? Am I meeting their expectations? Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who feels like, I failed, um, I got to this point and it's yeah. not working and now I have to change it. I have to rebrand, especially when it's something that's so mm-hmm. personal. For a leader who has started a business or built a brand, I mean, this is, it's almost it's almost like your child. You have birthed this baby and you're putting it out there into the world and people are basically saying, I don't like your baby. And it feels, and maybe that's going a little, you know, extreme. No, that's pretty accurate. It, it feels 
so personal and it's so easy for us to wrap up our own personal identity in the brand identity. And when one of those is rejected to take that rejection personally, what have you learned and what would you say to someone who got to a certain step in the process and it just wasn't working and had to scrap it or start over or whatever? Okay. So all of the above, I have done all of the above. I've cried real tears over my business over the last eight years. It is a painful process, but it's also a transformative process. And I would, I would not do anything different. And one of my favorite things about success is success comes from failure that you you learn more from your failures than your successes. Mm. So if you're failing and you're failing really badly, that's actually a good thing because at the very least you're learning what not to do. So one of the biggest epiphanies I had this year actually really, really changed my whole mindset is, well, I won't go into too much detail, but suffice it to say, I had thought that one particular vendor would work out um, in helping with my business and they did not. And it cost me a lot of money. And I was just really bummed about this. And I was like, well, I've, I've, this was a colossal failure. I should not have done this. And really through prayer and just trying to figure out, like, what do I do now? I, I just heard in my spirit that you can choose to look at it as a failure or you can choose to look at it as an investment. And mm. at that point, I realized, oh, I really just made a choice in my business and I made an investment and the investment didn't pan out okay, let's move on to the next step. And it really helped me get unstuck because I got stuck for several weeks and I'm like, yeah. you know what the next step is. And because I looked at it as an investment, I was like, okay, that was, that was because investment is positive language. Mm-hmm. And, and that made me move on to the next part. And, it, and it, that just really made a big difference for me to this day. And even if you look at... Um, I guess on a much higher, more expensive level with venture capital and the way venture capital works, that is what they do. They give money to startup businesses and sometimes they are horrible failures and nothing comes from it, but the venture capital firm doesn't close down. They're not like, well, we're out of the business. They move on to the next startup or they they work with the same startup and go through this process of going through the business development toolkit and look at different tools. Is your branding right? Is your marketing right? Is your sales right? Um, and, and start over. Mm-hmm. So I would say you have to be very, very comfortable and cozy with starting over and failing to progress in business. There is very little way around that. Even if you're a trust fund baby and you're a billionaire and you put money towards a product, it's really the market will dictate whether it's successful or not. So it's almost like you can't buy success. You can, but will it be sustainable? Right. But if you want a sustainable product that people resonate with, that you are passionate with, you wake up every day and you're excited to do, you have to be comfortable with trial and error. And that's actually how the, the best foundations are built because I really, really believe very, very strongly you have to fail so that you shut doors mm-hmm. and that you know which way to go. Because if you're just coasting on success, when trials come, it throws you off in a way to which you don't know what you can and can't do. But if you right. have failures, you know, you know what you can't do. And so your choices become narrower and narrower and clearer and clearer to the point to where 
it becomes easier to rebound mm-hmm. each and every time. And that's just what I found in my journey. That's good. I love that bit about failures is really just a process of elimination. Mm-hmm. Failure is helping that process of elimination to figure out what the actual path is that you're supposed to be on. And the investment piece too, looking at it as this is an investment, a choice that I made, but it's not who I am. That exactly. before I even start considering the brand or the identity of my dream and my business, I really need to have my identity settled yeah. and that needs to be on a solid foundation so that I can separate the two, so that I can separate who I am from what I do and the identity of that thing. That's true. And it's especially true if your brand is your name. So if Mm. uh, your brand is Beverly Luenya and, uh, and, and people are not responding to that, you, you have to develop this almost uh, a way of uh, separating you yourself from your brand. And that's why Mm -hmm. it's important to write down a brand um, because it is a separate thing. It's not you. You are a human being um, who's living and breathing, but your brand is a different entity. And that's why it's important to go through that first step of writing down what is Beverly Luenya, the brand? What is mm-hmm. that? Um, so that if people reject that, which they might, or people just be like, you know, that's not for me, you can go back and, and see, okay, what is it about this brand that's not mm-hmm. me, the brand, that they're not resonating with and tweak that to yeah. um, to, to be a, a better product. That's good. That's good. This is cool. I have pages oh, and great. pages of notes here. This was so <laughs> valuable. So as we're as we're wrapping this up, considering everything that you've told us, um, and and normally I would say, okay, what are some practical steps that leaders can take to put this into practice right now? But you you've given us that. I mean, you've literally given us the steps. Um, if there was one final thought or bit of encouragement that you could leave leaders with who are just beginning to take these steps, what would you say? I would say don't give up. I know that's very cliche and, you know, it's, people say that all the time, but really if you want something to succeed bad enough, it will. If you just stick with it long enough to see it through the peaks and valleys and iterate enough. So, so these tools in the toolkit, these four tools, sometimes you have to go through them 50 times just to get to that moment where you've hit the sweet spot. And I actually feel like I have done that. You know, I've had different logos. I've had different web develop. I've had diff- just different everything, different products. And now I'm at the point eight years later where I'm like, yep, it's ready to run. It's, it's to, I know who I am. I can art- articulate that. And some people it takes eight years and some people it takes eight months. Some people it takes eight minutes. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just like as long, as long as you want something to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that is why I've been able to um, last this long is that even when I set it aside, there was periods of my life where I wasn't doing this full time. I, I was making like one sale a month. Um, even those times, I still couldn't let go of it because it, it was my baby. It was my dream. And I just, I love it so much. I love the Afropolitan job and I love business and entrepreneurship so much that it just never died. And so mm-hmm. it, I would always like stoke the fires, stoke the embers. And so that there would always be a little bit of a flame. And that's okay too. If you go through a season where, you know, you just can't dedicate all your time to this dream idea you have. Um, just know at some point, you know, you, you, you'll want to come around and focus your energy on it again. And yeah, and just don't give up because that's the, the, that's the only thing that will 100% disqualify you is if mm-hmm. you give up. 
because then Mm -hmm. that's the end of it. So if you're Mm -hmm. still doing something and, and I also need to say no action is too small. Mm, If your action is just, I'm going to put up a website this month, let that be it. And that's fine. And if the month after that is I'm going to put up my Facebook page, that's okay. And then the month after that is I'm going to find one or two products to sell or whatever it is. Or if you're writing a book, I'm going to write one chapter this month. That's fine. Just as long as you're putting one foot forward, that's really, I feel like I've crawled to this place and now I'm finally <laughs> walking. It's, sometimes it's been a crawl or like an uphill climb of like, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And now I'm in a season where things are just humming along and I'm, I'm in this exciting phase of, of the business, but it hasn't always been like that. And I look back and I'm like, thank God. Thank God I did not quit. Thank yeah. the Lord. Because many times I wanted to, and, and I was just like, well, no one's buying anything. No one's doing anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just going through the process, well, maybe my brand needs to change. And that's one of the things I did last year. I did a whole new logo and branding um, for my website. And I went back and took stock of every single item I sold and I threw out the ones, and this was very painful. I, I took down the ones that I loved that other people didn't like. I'm like, but why don't oh. people like this? Um, but it's like they're not buying it. So I got to take down. And, yeah. and parents were very helpful in this process. They were like, just sell what sells. Right. And it sounds very easy, but if you can <laughs> select the products because you're in love with them, uh-huh. it's hard to take down the ones that you love. But that was gold advice. And it really helped remove a lot of the bloat on my site. I had too many products, just trying to do too many things. And I just have my set earrings, set bracelets, set necklaces. And yeah, and that really made a big difference. So don't be afraid to do small steps. These, this is my advice. Do take small steps. No, no step is too small. Um, and, and just don't quit. That's good. That's good. Well, Beverly, this was all so valuable and so encouraging. And I know that it's not just me. I mean, I have gained a lot from our time together today. Um, but I know, I know that our listeners have too. And um, I know that this resonated. So Beverly, my dear friend, thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for being here. Yeah, this is great. This is a pleasure. Thank you so much. listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.